Good morning. Do I need some help up here? So I'm going to get some prayer time in just for a quick moment. Do you want to join me? Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your word. We thank you that all of it is breathed by you. It is profitable to our souls, to our lives. We want to open our hearts to you this morning. God, would your word come alive to us and would your spirit be at work as I speak. May it be your words that go into hearts. Amen. Ladies, I'm going to invite you to take a very privileged seat this morning in the house, uh, and I'm going to take the opportunity to address the men. That got your interests going a little bit, right? Now, here's my observation. Aside from an echo in my voice, I think a lot of women in church would love men to be more like Jesus. I was waiting to see who was going to be the first person to say amen there. Now, it's understandable, really. Jesus has got this pure, spotless heart, perfect nature. It's quite understandable that he should be somebody that we would aspire to be like. He should be the goal for any man, any woman at all. And we miss the point of our lives if we strive and struggle after anything other than him, regardless of our gender. Now, we're working our way through the book of Ephesians. Uh, If you're visiting us this morning, we've been in this book in the Bible called Ephesians. uh, And we're in this section at the moment that is just so rich. Okay, seriously rich. And so rather than going through lots of different aspects, I want to do something that I don't think I've done, certainly for a long time, if not ever before. And I want to address the men. How many men have we got in this house right now? Interesting that some men didn't put their hand up there. Okay, maybe you're just wondering. Okay, You should have put your hand up at that point. Now, um, I think that you ladies will probably be be listening quite attentively as I speak over the next half an hour. I'm not sure if that would be the same case if it was the other way around, but I believe that that would be the case this morning. So across the UK, just to focus our attention a little bit, I would say it's fair to say that there are far more women in church than there are men. Okay? I think that there are far more people, far more women pursuing Jesus than there are men. Um, And it could be, generally speaking that women understand stuff like honesty, or community, or communication, or maybe kind of openness more than men. Uh, It could be, generally speaking, I know this is a very broad brushstroke that I'm painting, that men really do like to be in control of the solutions to their own problems. I'd say that's the case for a lot of the men that I know, a lot of people that I've, men that I've I've lived alongside. It could be that we, because we worship a saviour who's a man, some guys have some struggle with that. I don't know. I think there's probably numerous reasons for why across the UK there are more women following Jesus than there are men. Now we've reached this section in, in Ephesians 5 from verse 21 and I want to believe and I've been praying and fasting this week believing that it should instill some kingdom devotion specifically back into men. Okay, I'm going to ask, uh, I'm going to get the scripture up on the, on the screen actually. AJ, would you mind reading it for us? Uh, I'll get the mic for you. So this is Ephesians 5, verse 21 to 33. It'll be up on the big screen. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, 
cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each, each of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Okay, so we've heard some pretty revolutionary stuff over the last few weeks. I'm willing to say that this is pretty revolutionary. There is some stuff that will challenge our cultural assumptions based on this scripture. Uh, There is some stuff in here that should cause us to question and kind of, there should be a few double takes as we read this scripture. Um, And this, I mean, this stuff is packed full of such goodness for us. So just to state up front, Paul is directly painting a picture of marriage here, okay? If you're not married this morning in this room, I don't want you to switch off. Okay, as I prayed beforehand, everything that God has breathed through his word is profitable for us. So don't assume that there's nothing in this for you. But reading through this, like we're preaching systematically through the letter of Ephesians, it would be really hard for us not to focus on marriage specifically as we look at this text together. Um, so, and in case it needs to be said, the real marriage that Paul is highlighting up here is between Christ and the church. Okay? Now, the church hasn't always been known for being the most masculine of places, as I've kind of alluded to already. But here we see, guys, men, that we're called to be his bride. Okay, so we've got Jesus, the groom, and his church, the bride. And some of us are going to have to see past the thing that might challenge us culturally or emotionally to realize that actually we're called his bride, and it's biblical, and therefore it's for our good. Now, I've... As I've hinted already, I've prayed and carried these verses with me for the last uh, week or two. And there's three themes that I have seen jump out at me from the page. They are uh, submit, serve, and sanctify. Okay, if you're taking notes, you want to jot those down. In fact, as a side note, man, I, I want to encourage you, bring your Bibles. Bring your notepads to church on a Sunday. Allow God to speak to you so that you can carry it back with you throughout the week. I find having my notebook with me super helpful. So if you're jotting it down, submit, serve, and sanctify. So submit the first one. So on Friday, me and AJ celebrated 11 years of marriage. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Basically, 11 years of me punching, punching way above my weight. So I'm full of joy for this fact. But I wanted to focus on a different marriage, a different wedding for a second. Uh, even though there's so many examples that I could draw from, I, I want to focus on my friend Michael. So a few of us have got a friend named Michael, and he got married a few weeks ago. Um, and I've been spending some time with Michael over the last few months, learning just about this amazing man of God. And as his bride walked into the auditorium, all of the eyes were fixated on her, and I was watching my mate Michael. And he was watching as this beautiful future walked up the aisle towards him. And he couldn't hide his emotions. Like he didn't know whether to laugh or cry. So he was kind of doing both in a bit of a, a, a strange way. But he managed to hit two emotions in one go. And I was just watching. And I was thinking back as I was watching him about some of the conversations that he and I have had over the last few months. He's been telling me about like, the stuff that he's been praying for for his marriage. Not his wedding, but his marriage. 
He's been telling me about this mini revival that he's seen through his own Bible reading, just the way that the the scripture has come alive for him in, in the way that he's been studying it over the last few months. He's been telling me about the sort of things that he's fighting to leave behind and the stuff that he's fighting in prayer for to pick up with his new wife, Ursula. And I realized that when I was looking at my friend at the top of the aisle, A, God loves to transform men. And B, he loves it when we take responsibility. I could see as I was watching my friends trying to laugh and cry at the same time, I could see the delight of God the Father upon him. And I realized in those moments, knowing my friend, that he's kind of developed through the power of the Holy Spirit a kind of temperament and a character that I reckon it would be quite easy for his wife Ursula to submit to. He's just got this dependability, this reliability, and I've seen it kind of behind the scenes. And I was thinking, God, you're upon that man. I bet it's easy for her to submit to him. Now, the Bible says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's the first line up there. But then it specifically calls wives, specifically calls wives to submit to husbands in everything. So let me ask you men, Husband, how is your character, how is your conduct on display in such a way that it might help your wife or anyone that's kind of close in your nearest proximity of influence? How would it be easy for them to submit to you? Let me break it down a little bit. In what way are you speaking, behaving, processing situations around you, processing your emotions in the moment? Is it in such a way that it would be above reproach, beyond accusation? How about the way that you're spending your time, your money? How are you enjoying rest? How are you spending time with God? How are you, maybe if you've got children, how are you correcting and disciplining your children? How are you interacting with people around you, with your neighbours and your colleagues and all those kind of things? Is it, is it above reproach? Is it beyond accusation? Because the Bible says that your wife, if you're married, has to submit to you. But have you been carrying yourself in a Christ-like way? A Christ-like manner that would make that submission actually a blessing and not a struggle? Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 13, quite a well-known line actually, he says, when I was a child... I spoke, I thought, and I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. I gave them up. Now, we live in an age that that kind of avoids maturity. I don't know if you've noticed in the world around you, all over the place, people wanting to look and people wanting to act younger than they are. Men who are stretching out adolescence, like way into their 20s, even into their 30s, trying to eke out their youth as much as they can. My observation from my own life, because you know I love to be real with you, but my observation from the lives of people around me as well, is that quite often we can run headlong into relationships, we can run headlong into areas of responsibility without really keeping our behavior in check. Without really, I'll be honest, having a clue with what we're doing. We find ourselves with this responsibility all of a sudden, and we don't know, we, we, we're slow at guarding our mouths, and we're slow at guarding our, our actions. So we'll often find ourselves in situations of responsibility without having a single clue what we're doing. Am I the only one there that feels that? I find, my, 
it turns out I am. Well, <laughs> I find myself in situations I think, oh God, I just don't know what to do. This passage says, submit to each other, and then specifically calls wives to submit to their husbands. But I felt the Holy Spirit, as I was studying it and just weighing it, prompt the question, men, in what way are you displaying a Christ-like character and attitude that is even worthy of that respect? You might think, well, I'm behind the steering wheel. I'm, I'm the man about the, about the house. <clears throat> I know best. No, no, no. Under a magnifying glass, under a spotlight, how is your character and your conduct like that of a boy or like that of a man? This is one of my favorite quotes. I, I think about it often. This is a pastor named Burke, Burke Parsons from the States. Men, be the chief repenter in your home for it is likely that you are the chief of sinners in your home. Now, I'm going to be honest. That statement is very, very, very true in our household. Very, very true. I can be incredibly irritable, and I can be very grumpy. She's shaking her head. She's, she's very gracious. It really is true. I'm the grumpiest so-and-so in my house. Okay, I can wake up feeling magnificent about the day, the birds are singing, the sun is shining, I've had eight hours of sleep, I can wake up feeling good, and all it takes is a spilt drink. All it takes is for a room to be messy. All it does, God forbid, all it does is for a moment where I'm being ignored, and I can elicit some very, very childish behavior. Just within, that, within a split second, within a moment, I can go from feeling worshipful and thankful to just feeling like... I, I want to tear my hair out. I can feel that way so easily. Man, I can often encourage some display that does not look very Christ-like back in my house. And yet it's surrounded by the people who I most want to encounter Jesus. Amen? We, we carry that desire in our, for our households, don't we? The Bible says that I'm the head of my house. In the same way that Christ is the head of the church... And man, if that was a reality check for us, I don't know what is. We are the heads of our houses in the same way, men, that Christ is the head of this church. Now, I would argue if my wife and my kids are to submit to my leadership, as is the biblical call, I'm going to have to seriously submit to the work of the Holy Spirit every single day. Depending on him to transform my nature within me, to become this consistent, reliable, trustworthy person. I just want a side question for all of us. In what way have you been submitting to Christ in the last seven days? I don't mean like theoretically or hypothetically. I mean, really, how have you been submitting to him? Like we had an amazing testimony from Phil. God prompting her to do this, this and this within her day. How's that been going in the last week for you? I've got so much ground to cover. I've got to keep moving. So the next one, serve. So we've had to submit. We've had to serve. We're now on to serve. Now, there's this stereotyped mentality that would suggest that after 10 hours of a day or maybe 40 or 50 hours of a week, it's acceptable for somebody to come home and find a hot meal on the table, a house that's tidy, perhaps children sleeping soundly in the bed. I don't... I don't back that kind of mentality. I just have to say, I think that's nonsense. But there is a stereotype mentality that would suggest, particularly for men, if you've been out working, it's okay to come back and accept for that to be the, the situation when you come home or to expect it. 
I, I think that's nonsense. Man, during those moments where it would be super easy to zone out, very, very easy to zone out, who are you serving and in what way? You think, well, I serve my family by the way I provide. Yeah, perhaps. But the Bible says Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her. Do you think he did that when it felt convenient? No. Do you think he did that at a time where it was a job that he particularly enjoyed doing or was particularly good at? Probably not. We have a saviour, we've been worshipping him for the last hour or so, who is committed to laying aside his own comfort, his own preferences, and before we even knew that we needed it, he, Jesus, had agreed with God the Father that he would go to work at starting and finishing a work of salvation for everyone in this room. He was physically and emotionally engaged and available when it mattered. You know, the cross was so costly. That was a costly, costly thing that he did. There has never been an act of service in all the pages of history more costly than that one demonstration from our Lord. So relentless in the way that he serves us. And I want to encourage you men, have a big view of the cross because it will help you serve the people around you most. Have it in the forefront of your mind. It will help you serve relentlessly. Now, men, we, in case this needs saying... There's a few of these statements I'm making. In case it needs saying, we aren't saviors. No amen whatsoever. We aren't saviors. Amen? Amen. Life does not rest on your shoulders. Life doesn't rest on your shoulders. But there are some practical ways that we can give up ourselves. I'm gonna, I could pick so many of them. I'm going to pick four of them. This is not an exhaustive list, but I've, things that I've just believed through waiting on the Holy Spirit that has jumped out at me. The first one, by how we listen. Now, sometimes, in fact, most days, I'll be honest, my wife enjoys downloading some of her day to me. Some of you will snigger at that. I'm, I mean it generally. She, she enjoys telling me about her day. Not because of the wisdom she's going to get in, repl- in return, trust me, but just because it matters to her that I hear about what's happened in her day. It's important to her that I've heard it. Even after a busy day, men, are you still prepared to listen? Actor says yes. I bet you are as well. Guys, this is going to mean screens off. This is going to mean devices down. This is going to mean like active listening, engaged listening. Something I'm really not good at. I need the help of the Holy Spirit to help me do that. Priorities aside, engaged acting, active listening, especially when you don't feel like it. I know you've had a busy day. I'm sure you have. But there's going to be times where you're going to need to be switched on to listen to what perhaps your wife has to say to you. The next thing that we, the, another way that we can serve is by how we speak. Don't ever ever, ever, ever speak badly about your spouse. Ever. Not about her, not to her. Don't ever, ever, ever do it. The devil may often whisper into your ear, yeah, but she's not the same person that you married. 
Maybe she looks different to how she used to look. Oh, she's been lazy this week. You know the kind of thoughts that will go through your head. She's been so irritating recently, hasn't she? Don't let those lies fuel the way that you speak. We need to turn away from those thoughts and refuse to allow them to infiltrate what we say. Do you know, Proverbs 17 says that we are to speak with restraint and even temper. And Proverbs 18 goes on to say, and this is killer stuff, the mouth of a fool is his undoing and his lips are a snare to his life. Do you know, there is incredible power in our tongue. The stuff that we say about and to the people around us has significant impact. It really, really does. If you don't believe that, then you are a fool. It really, really does. The way that we speak, the language that we use, the devil, the enemy, loves it when we use negative, discouraging words about her. Specifically. And one of the ways that we serve our households, men, is through the language and the tone that we use about our loved ones. Men, do you know, we need to lead in the example for this, but ladies, the shoe fits on the other foot. Do you know, I can say this after 11 years of marriage. I'll try to say this after 11 years of marriage. I have never once, not one single occasion, heard my wife say anything about me that is discouraging or negative. 11 years, 13 years together, 11 years married, she has never said anything other than stuff that encourages me and builds me up. It is an amazing, amazing display of honouring and respect. So the shoe fits on the other foot, ladies. I've never once heard her say something bad about me. And it is an amazing, amazing gift from God. Next, we're going to go by how we touch. I'm going to go there. Verse 31 talks about one flesh, so I see that as a green light to talk about this for a second. We don't talk about this stuff much at the front. I'm not quite sure why, because it's incredibly, incredibly important. We serve through physical touch, men. I would have sworn you to be more enthusiastic about that, but maybe you're not. The way that we love, the way that we comfort, the way that we have fun times together, as it's called in our house. She didn't know I was going to say that. Men, how are things going in that department at the moment? Husbands, are you serving your wife with your body? I want you to process that like a man. Don't blush like a boy. Even when you don't feel like it? Yeah, especially then. Even when you've been married for a long, long time? Yeah, especially then. Should we go back to school for a second? I'm talking about holding hands. I'm talking about cuddling each other. I'm talking about sending flirty little text messages throughout the day that just encourage... I'm talking about initiating. Cultivating an atmosphere of romance in your household. I'm talking about distraction-free, child-free, argument-free time alone together. We serve our households, men, through how we touch We don't talk about this stuff much up here, but it is a killer way that we serve our households. And there there will be seasons when it's harder to do than others. I get that. Trust me. And it might feel a little bit inconvenient sometimes, 
But this is not an area that we can get slack in. We can't go on cruise control in this area. Don't hit cruise control on that one. Lastly, by how we pray. It's probably the most important one. When I say how we pray, I mean how we pray with and how we pray for them, men. Who are you praying for and how have you been praying for them recently? Verse 25 and verse 26 shows us that Christ is utterly committed to making his church holy. He is all in for making his church holy, his bride. There's going to be a day, I want you to picture this because it's amazing, when the church is presented to the groom, the bride to the groom, this spotless, blameless bride we're going to stand there radiantly next to Jesus for eternity. How often do you pursue prayer and holiness together? I'm talking about regularly creating space to allow the Holy Spirit, to allow the presence of God in your house. Not just here on a Sunday, I'm talking about taking it at home as well. A place where you're regularly creating space for your burdens and your victories to be brought before God together. I'm talking about actively enriching the name of Jesus and just bigging him up in your household and taking a lead through the things and the way that you pray for and about her. Now, as a pastor, one of my responsibilities is to help you guys encounter Jesus. Men, do you know you have that responsibility in your house as well? I don't know if you realize that, but you do. That is huge. That is huge. God gives you a measure of authority to steward and to see the things of his kingdom advance at home. Ephesians 6, actually, the next chapter on, starts talking, starts calling out men to begin raising households that are in the instruction and the training of the Lord. How in the world is that going to happen if you don't pray with her? How in the world is that ever going to happen if you do not lay hold of the things of the kingdom at home? How are you going to do that? I believe that there's a day coming when we're going to stand before God and he's going to ask us to give an account for how that went down. I really believe it. You know, what you're modeling at home it's enormous. You know, I, was just, I felt so it was amazing just to worship earlier. I don't know what my kids were doing, but you know what? I wanted them to see me giving it to Jesus because what it implants in their hearts is huge. And that brings us to the last one. So we've had submit, serve, and sanctify. The last one. God is committed, utterly committed, to helping us to become more like his son, Jesus through every season, through every struggle, through every success, he is totally in, on board for it. The whole way, he's, he's with us. That's what sanctification is. That's what it means to be sanctified. If you spend increasing time with Jesus, your saviour, this sinless saviour, he helps you to sin less yourself. And in doing so, you become more like him. You know, real men usher in and they protect the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in their households. Here's a little case study. In my quiet time the other day, I was reading just in First Kings, well, through the whole book, actually, and I got to chapter 20. And there's this, um, 
this king named King Ahab. It's a pretty cool name. Sounds manly. He's leading the people of God. Uh, He's got this whole vast nation before him. And one of their enemies steps up to him, this guy named Ben, what's his name? Ben-Hadad, king of Aram. And he starts advancing against the people of God. He starts trying to throw his weight around. And he sends a message to our, our boy Ahab. And he starts saying to them, your sil-, in fact, he says, I've got it written down, your silver and gold are mine, and the best of your wives and your children. Do you know what the leader of God's people says to that in reply? He says, just as you are, my Lord, all I have is yours. And now Ben-Hadad realizes that he's up against a bit of a pushover here. We're meant to have a fearless leader, and he finds a guy that's like flopping at the first hurdle. So he ups the ante. He increases the attack, and he says, well, actually, by tomorrow, fine, the lot of it is going to be mine. I'm going to go after the whole lot. Now, the king of Israel, Ahab, gives the enemy this inch, and the enemy just starts trying to bulldoze the whole lot. He starts increasing the fighting talk. And then Ahab begins this weird, weird kind of interaction with the other king of Aram. And he starts trying to like negotiate with his, the rest of the stuff that he's got. Like this really weird, bizarre kind of negotiation. And we'd read that account thinking, what are you doing? What the heck are you doing? You're just letting this guy come in and, and turn the place over. But men, in what way are you compromising at the moment? Ahab had a small view of God in that moment. Ahab had a small view of what God had entrusted him with at that point. And if you're struggling in one of these four areas, take a look at them. I would say it's because the same thing has happened in your life. You've found that you've got a small view of God and perhaps a small view of the thing that he's given you responsibility over. Now, I'll go back to the scripture. It says, Meanwhile, a prophet came to Ahab, king of Israel, and announced. So, okay, God starts intervening through a prophet. This is what the Lord says. Do you see this vast army? He's pointing at the enemy. God says, I will give it into your hands today, and you're going to know that I'm the Lord. So Ahab's there, seeing what could be potentially a huge defeat. And the prophet comes through the word of the Lord, saying, no, it's going to be yours now. And Ahab replies to the prophet and says, but who's going to do this? Who's going to start the battle? And the prophet answered, you will. You will. Men, I want to see every head nodding. You will. He says, who's going to start the battle? Who's going to step up to the plate? Who's Who's going to start actually taking responsibility for this nonsense? You will. Ahab then takes responsibility. He musters the courage. He, he, he sees the enemy for what it really is and sees the Lord for who he really is and then he leads them to this courageous victory. And then afterwards, the prophet came to king, the king of Israel and said, they've just defeated, they've had a victory, and he says, strengthen your position and see what must be done because next spring, the king of Aram is going to be back and will attack you again. Again? Yeah, Again. And again, and again, and again, and again. Men, faith is a fight. Over and over and over again, we're going to have to face up to the fight. Now, since Adam in the Garden of Eden, through King Ahab that we've just been looking at, to me and you today, the fight has been on. There's been this battle raging against this thing called holiness. This, this kingdom that's, that we worship and we come before. It's, there's this battle raging now, God knew the fight would be too big for you. 
Even some of you, you've got some broad shoulders, some of you. He knew the fight would be too big for you as well. Even for your broad shoulders, and he gave you a spotless saviour who never once said or did or thought anything sinfully. Never once. He never once compromised. He never once started negotiations with the enemy like Ahab did. He didn't allow the, the, the enemy to have any ground whatsoever. And God's purpose for our lives is that we would grow to become more and more and more and more like this Jesus. The only one that's suitable for the battle. I believe, in fact, I want to ask you, men, can you stand? Man, it's amazing to see more of you here than I thought. I believe that through Ephesians 5, and specifically because God called me to read 1 Kings 20, this story about Ahab, that God is calling us over and over and over and over again to step up to the place of headship, to step up to the place of responsibility with authority and discipline and a heart that's focused on Jesus, a servant heart that puts off self. And like Ahab, often the battle that we're going to start facing is going to feel really close to home. It's not far away, it's actually closer than we think. And if we've started to get ignorant or sloppy in that first line of defense, we need to come before God. These are just four examples that I could think of that I would consider to be a first line of defense. When we bring sin and temptation into our households, as I often do, and I'm sure you do too, and we allow that to start infiltrating that one place that God has called us to protect more than anything, We need to respond by giving it everything we've got. We need to pick ourselves up and say, okay, God, I'm going to fix my eyes on you again and again and again. How are you stewarding these four precious moments? Every one of you. When God is calling you to listen attentively. When he's calling you to speak encouragement and life. When he's asking you, when he's calling you even to pursue passionately. Leading in prayer crying out to the Lord with all you've got. The devil hates it when men lead with a small view of God and with a small view of what he's entrusted them with. He loves it when we go backwards in our faith. He loves it when we function from a place of negligence or a place of dissatisfaction. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I bet there's a few of you here that are operating from a place of dissatisfaction right now. I believe that the Lord would say through what I've been studying... It's time again to strengthen your position in the Lord. It's, just, it's time again. The way that we lead our marriages or the places of, of greatest influence around us should make it believable to the world around us that we have a Christ and he's head of a church. It should show that. That Christ is victoriously head of the church. Amen? Amen. I want to invite you guys... Lay your burdens before God. I'm sure there's a few of you that are carrying some burdens right now. He's going to replace it. I think even Jody referred to this earlier by the Holy Spirit because we hadn't shared any of this. That he wants to replace stuff with his goodness. He wants to take burdens and give you blessing instead and, and a sense of peace and a, and a sense of just feeling free in his spirit where we might feel like we're carrying burdens. It might have been a while since you've done that. Do you know... Jesus fights your battles better than you. 
Paolo, Chris, Rob, Andreas. He, he fights your battles better than you. Do you know, I, I'm longing to lead a church, and I, I'd love to lead it for decades and decades to come, that is packed full of men who treat their spiritual headship and responsibilities with courageous faith. Men who don't boast in the riches or their intellect or, or even in the things that they've managed to achieve or their strength, but one, ones who boast in the Lord. I'm talking about men who are dependable. I'm talking about men who battle in prayer, who serve joyfully, who give sacrificially, who worship freely, who love wholeheartedly. We're surrounded by a fatherless culture, and I desperately want to see the generation downstairs and the children that are around us to see this stuff modelled in homes and modelled here as a church family every single week. Not when it feels convenient, not when there's something, I don't know, what your calendar looks like in a given week, and you think, oh, okay, I'll squeeze it in then. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about how the being affected by how the family dynamics have been going on a given week, just all the time being sold out for the Lord Jesus. Who here wants to get to glory out of breath because they've been running hard with everything they've got for the Lord Jesus? Jesus, you are perfect. You are saviour. You are the one we can depend on. You are the one that we can build our lives on. Through the power of your Holy Spirit poured out to us now, God, you can create us to become more and more and more like you. And my goodness, do our households not need that? Do our places of influence not need that more? Spirit of God, I want to pray that you would put a stiffened spine back into every single man in this room right now. I want to pray, God, that they would have a great, large, whopping great view of your kingdom every single moment of every single day. I want to pray that you'd empower them so that they know that they can do it. That when the battle might seem big, and they're saying, okay, who's going to solve this? Who's going to fix this? You're saying, you're going to do it. Your scripture says, you can do it. You've got the Lord Jesus with you. You've got his spirit coursing through your body. You can do it. I've given you that authority. I've given you that responsibility. I call it out. I see it over you. I call it out from within your character.